It was um, last night around 7 o'clock that my wife reminded me that the clocks changed this morning. And I went, ugh. So I went around and uh, I changed all the clocks in the house. Um, by, by 8 o'clock they were all changed so that we could get our minds wrapped around the concept of the, the time being different and go to bed actually on time. Because I, I know it's coming and I almost never do. And I did last night. I went to bed at the new time, not at the old time. But I tell you something, when my alarm clock went off at 6.20 this morning, I did not know what planet I was on. It was like, what on earth is going on here? And then um, I went to uh, pick up the grandkids at, uh, at 8.45, and uh, the oldest three, they had adjusted to the time. They were sitting there ready. The younger two, they had not adjusted to the time. They were still asleep when I went to get them, so they are not with us this morning. Last week, we talked about becoming evil, not like as an instruction manual as to how to do that, but it was kind of a downer sermon, bad news type of thing. Sorry, but that's necessary sometimes. You really cannot comprehend the good news if you've not heard the bad news. That bad news, if you didn't hear last week's sermon, is that we are all fallen people. Since the time of Adam and Eve, we people are not good people by nature. We have this bent towards choosing to go against God. That's called sin. Sin is what separates us from God, and we tend to lean into it unless we, like, on purpose, choose not to. The really bad news is that sin, well, it's like a drain at the bottom of, uh, in the bottom of a sink full of water. Or if you're a sci-fi fan, maybe like a black hole at the center of the universe. And once you start to go into that drain, the drag on you just gets more and more powerful and it pulls you in deeper and deeper until it is just unfathomable to you how you could possibly get out even if you want to. And by that point, many people don't even realize that they're going down the drain. We become cauterized to our sin and having any remorse from it. Some people don't know this at all, but even for those of us who were raised in the church from day one, I, I, I used to like to say that, uh, hey, I was born on Friday and I was in church on Sunday, and my mom heard me say that once, and she was like, no, you weren't. You were in church a week later. So, But for those of us who were even raised in the church from the time we were infants, we need to be reminded of the bad news from time to time, or the devil will trick us into thinking it's not so bad, that we're not so bad, and that life by nature is pretty good. Today, as I told you, we're going to talk about just the opposite of that. Today, the sermon is about becoming good. 
And it is literally the good news. Turn with me if you would, or follow along on the overheads. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-15. through 15. I use the English Standard Version. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through, your, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though... Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, one of my Bible college professors said, whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, you need to look and think about what the therefore is there for. Therefore, because of all that stuff, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace of that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. The first three quarters or so of this passage is a reassurance that we won't have lived our lives as Christians in vain. It starts right off by giving glory to God the Father because through Christ, He has caused us to have hope. The hope is based in the resurrection from the dead of Jesus the Messiah. It further explains that we have been caused, yes, caused to be born again into that hope. We have made the choice to enter into that hope, but it was only through His grace that we were able. 
This is why we have hope and faith. That because of Jesus' resurrection, we too, through Him, may look forward to something much greater than the day-to-day goings-on of this life. A life which, though, you know, this life has its wonders, it has its great moments, it has wonderful things, magnificent times. Despite that, throughout human history, life has been plagued by suffering and grief, all of which stem from that fall in the Garden of Eden. We have an assurance of an inheritance which is being kept ready for us and us for it. Though we may have to live through unpleasant times or even downright horrible things for some people in this world, we have the hope of an an eternal inheritance. Job, that book of wisdom in the Old Testament about the guy who suffered just inconceivably bad things. Job 27 verse 8 puts it pretty succinctly. For what is the hope of the godless when God cuts him off, when God takes away his life? It's not a trick question. I'm betting that even the youngest kids in my Sunday school class would know the basic answer to this question. A godless person dies, and when they do, all their hopes and dreams, their wealth, their achievements, they all die with them. Their hope ends at that moment. The only thing that they could even think about having that would carry on would would be if they had good children whom they were able to see go on, hopefully to, to better things. Yet if they're godless, their fate is the same. This is what we have as Christians who have put our faith into Christ and the resurrection that we have through Him. An inheritance which is not perishing, which doesn't die with us, something that doesn't just erode into dust. And it's being held for us. It's being kept for us. You know, I had, a, I had an inheritance of a sort um, that was passed on to me when my, when my father was killed in an accident. There was a lawsuit and there was some money that came from that and my mom took half of that money and put it into trusts for us kids so that we would have something from that when we grew up. But she wisely put it so that it was completely inaccessible until we turned 21. We had that, that hope waiting for us. When we turned 21, and her hope was that if we waited till we were 21, we would, you know, deal with that money wisely. Yeah, it, it should have been more like 30. Our inheritance through Christ is not something just for this life. But it is just a simple matter of being born again and then remaining in a trust of Jesus. Do we just do that? 
Is that all there is to it? You, you one day accept Christ, you come forward, you're baptized into Christ, you rise a new creation, and then you just continue to trust Him for the rest of your life, and you say, okay, yeah, I still believe in Jesus. Everything's good from this point on. This passage talks about the possibility of being tested, though it says that not everyone will be. Do we merely have that saving moment and then just go into a holding pattern for the rest of our lives, circling like you're at Chicago O'Hare? Last week we talked about people who move away from Christ over time until they're not even on the road any longer. If it's possible to gradually move in the wrong direction away from God and His will for our lives, then it is also possible to gradually move closer to Him. Absolutely this is possible. The problem is that it is against our fallen nature to do that. That is not how we would just tend to do if we were not trying. Our tendency is to move away from God. Here's an analogy for you. Let's say that you go swimming in a really, really slow-moving river. This is a river that only moves at like maybe one, one and a half miles an hour. You go in and you go swimming and you're having a great time and you decide, you know what, I'm just going to tread water for a while. I'm out here, I'm enjoying it, I like this spot, I'm just going to tread water. Well, if you're just treading water, you're not standing still. You are moving with the current. And the current may be so slow that you don't even realize that it's dragging you along, but it is. And here's the other thing. Like in any river that moves and has curves and such, there are little eddies where there's some pretty swift current. And it'll pull you under. When I was a kid, we used to go swimming in a, there's a slip uh, cut off of the river uh, that was two blocks from my house. We were absolutely 100% forbidden from going swimming in the slip in the river. So we did it only when we could get away with it. Or we thought we could anyway. And this, it was mostly safe. It was, you know, mostly harmless. But if you went out towards the edge of that slip where the river is going by, it was a pretty powerful river. And you might not even feel it, but that current would swim in there and it would grab hold of you. And every once in a while, you'd hear about a kid that got grabbed by that current and pulled out into the main river where the current was deadly. And they had to be fished out by the Coast Guard. Sometimes they didn't get fished out. But in that slip, we didn't really even notice that the, that the current was coming in there because you could swim against it really easily. And that's what you have to do in this life. Is we have to swim against the current. We're in that slow-moving river. And treading water isn't standing still. It's taking you away from the goal. It's slow, but it's happening. This is due to three things. First, our fallen nature, like we went over last week, 
We lean into the bad naturally. Second, our culture is part of the current. In fact, on our own, we might just be in a slow-moving current. Something that's not that bad. If it's just us, we can easily swim against it. But that culture, is the, it's that eddy. It's that swirl. And some parts of it are really dark, and they will grab you, and they will drag you out. The third reason that we will move in the wrong direction is our incredible, amazing, jaw-dropping ability to lie to ourselves and believe every word of it. We will convince ourselves wholeheartedly that we're doing a good job. We're holding steady. We're maintaining where we are in that current. Maybe even making a little bit of moderate progress. We'll tell ourselves that. We'll come up with markers that we invent that show, look, I'm doing good. I'm making progress. And we'll believe every word of it. And all you need to know to prove to you that this type of measurement isn't a good one to use, where you just, yeah, I think I'm doing pretty good. I, I, I don't really need a rock-solid external measurement to gauge me. I, 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 have, I have these ways of understanding how well I'm doing. The only way you need to know, the only thing you need to know to know that that doesn't work is don't step on the weigh scales for a while. And you'll come up with Really good arguments as to why you think you're doing great. But eventually, eventually you've got to go to the doctor's office. And the very first thing that they do when they walk you into the doctor's office is they take you to that stainless steel mental torture device. And they make you stand on it for all the world to see that your false impressions of how well you've been doing really didn't work out that well for you. At least that's how it goes with me most of the time. When I step into the doctor's office and once in a while it's lower than it was the last time, I'm like, yes! But that's not as often as the other. Back to the good news. We just read in 1 Peter several different things there about what the good news is. We need to look at the last paragraph or so one more time here. Verses 13 through 15. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's talking to people who were pagans, who accepted Christ as adults and came to Him, and He's saying, don't return to that. Don't be conformed to your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Where it says here, preparing your minds for action. 
It's actually a pretty strange term in the, in the Greek. The literal translation is gird up the loins of your mind, which is something that is virtually impossible to picture. It comes from the practice in the ancient days of a man who knew that he was going to have to be doing something physically exerting. He knew he was going to have to be running or fighting or doing something, but they wear those long ropes. And that's not real easy to, you know, I mean, think about trying to do a fight in a full-length dress. That's basically the same thing. But they were, they were split down the sides, and what they would do is they would take it, tuck it behind, pull it forward, and then tie the ends like a great big diaper. Gird up the loin, your loins is what that was called. It was preparing for action. And he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. What the world does that mean? It means take the necessary preparations for your mind to be ready for the fight, to, to be ready for action. It may seem like something silly, may seem like something weird, but if you are wearing one of those big flowing robes and all of a sudden you have to be in a fight, how well do you think you'd do? If you had to all of a sudden sprint 500 yards, how well do you think you'd do if you didn't have any preparation done? They had to see the, the event coming and prepare for it. And we need to do the same with our minds. We need to gather ourselves together and have our minds prepared for the action that we need to be doing. You can't do it at the last moment when you need to already be ready. When I went off to the army at the ripe old age of 18, they did two things for the first eight weeks that we were there. Happened all the time. I can see Gary smiling back there. Gary used to be a drill sergeant. Two things. They trained us mentally to be ready to be infantry soldiers. Prepared in the know-how of using all of the basic equipment that the army gives out to those soldiers. Rifles, radios, grenade and rocket launchers, chemical warfare gear. Being able to find yourself on a location on a map when you're just out in the middle of a field someplace. They did this nonstop for eight weeks. The second thing that they did was to absolutely work us into the ground physically. Literally, until you could not get up off the ground. They would work us to what they called total muscle failure. You cannot push yourself up off the ground one more time. And they would do this over and over and over again to get us into physically good shape. You know, I thought I was in pretty good shape when I went off to the Army. I'd been working on a farm for the past three summers. I had just finished the haying season before I went off to the Army. I'm 18, you know, I've been chucking 60-pound bales all summer long. I thought I was in pretty good shape. I was not. By about the third day in basic training, I knew how bad a shape I was in. 
And you know, this is why they take 18-year-olds, not 54-year-olds. I may have a lot more experience and wisdom, hopefully, than I did when I was 18, but I can't even imagine trying to learn all the things that they crammed into our heads in eight weeks at this point with my tired old brain. And I would probably literally die if I had to be put to those physical exertions that they did when I was 18. The reason you have to be taught and trained and taught and trained and taught and trained is so that you are ready if you have to go to war. It is absolutely no difference with us being a part of the kingdom of God. You cannot hope to fend off the onslaught of the devil who will try in as many ways as possible to test you and try you and break you. You cannot hope to do that if you are spiritually in as bad a shape as I am now at 54 physically. Somebody who sits at a desk most of the time. We have to prepare our minds for action, is what it says. Gird up the loins of your mind, which it's not even a picture you can create, but you understand what it means. We have to be constantly growing in our faith. We are told that not only is this possible, but it's necessary if we are to be mature Christians. We have to constantly exercise our ability to be like Christ. We have to be constantly moving in the right direction. This is called sanctification. Romans 6, 20-22 For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. There are two parts to sanctification. That initial moment, that initial moment when you surrender your life to Christ and He declares you holy, not by anything you've done, but by the blood of Jesus covering over you. When He washes away our sins, that is the initial act of sanctification. But then there is the ongoing work of sanctification. The aspect of continually becoming more and more holy. Which isn't to say, you know, oh, I'm so holy. It's literally you are changing to be more like Christ a little bit every day and less like the old, fallen, sinful you every day. That second part is still something that is done to us through the Holy Spirit. But we must 
be working in cooperation with him for that to occur. You can resist the Holy Spirit. Or you can cooperate with the Holy Spirit and be going through that continual work of sanctification, becoming just a little bit better every day. This is the concept of becoming good. Not that we ourselves can be good. As the world often thinks of us, they think that we think this of ourselves. The world thinks that you and I think we're, we're sinless. They think that we think that we're just above them. That we're just all that and a sack lunch too. What we understand is that we are sinners in need of forgiveness and in need of the Holy Spirit bringing us along against the flow to become a little bit more sanctified and like Christ every day. We won't achieve that in absolute completion while we're in this life. Until we go to that inheritance which is waiting for us. But we need to be constantly working towards it. Because if you aren't working towards it, you aren't treading water. You're in a slow-moving river. There is a current pulling against you. Your own nature and the culture around you is dragging you downstream. If you think you're standing still, better look to some, some checkpoints. And those checkpoints are in Scripture. And you'll probably see that you've been dragged downstream and you didn't even realize it. Every day, we need to be swimming against that current. We can do it because the Holy Spirit will help. But we need to be working at it constantly without giving up. Will you succeed? No. Will you have bad days where you're going downstream a little bit more than it took you three weeks to get upstream? Yes, it's going to happen. Thank God for the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. Because it is only through Him that we can have any bit of goodness whatsoever. And if you haven't accepted the forgiveness that only comes through Him, then you need to do so, and you need to do so as soon as you become convicted that you need it. Forgiveness only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. You need to hear it, accept it, repent, be immersed rise a new creation, and then live every day for Him. Let's pray. Father God, we love You. Thank You for the free gift of grace. Thank You for that inheritance that we can see waiting for us. Thank You for the reminders that You give us to be working towards being more like You. We love You, God. And we say in Your name, Amen. Please stand as the praise team leads us. When I go to the doctor, I wear like the lightest clothes that I can, and then I take off my belt if I'm wearing it, my watch and my coat, and girding, girding up my loins. <laughs>